Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, we are um, wrapping up the Beatitudes on the podcast today. I hope that uh, if you're just tuning in, that you'll get an opportunity to listen through the last couple of episodes where we're discussing the words of our King Jesus and the kind of character that he expects from those citizens in his kingdom. Yeah, so we've already talked about what the attitude or what the spirit of the disciple is to be, poor, those who mourn, and gentle. We've talked about what their diet is supposed to be. They're supposed to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they will be satisfied. And we've also talked about what type of person they are to be and how they treat other people. They're to be merciful people. They're supposed to be pure in heart. And today we'll get into a couple other things that they can expect um, in, in terms of how they treat other people and in terms of how they're treated as well in this new kingdom that Jesus has come to set up. Yeah. If you uh, are following along in your Bible, uh, which we would love uh, for you to do, uh, we're in Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be reading uh, verses 10 through 12, uh, focusing in on those verses today. Sorry, verse 9. Thank you, Chase. Um, Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 9. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, so this first one, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If there is a beatitude, that I wish the entire world would follow. (laughs) Poor in spirit's good too, but all of them really, but especially as we look out in a culture that is just so merciless and at odds with one another. Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers. And Stephen, have you ever found yourself in the role of a peacemaker before? Yeah, I mean, I don't think many of us haven't. (laughs) In situations where conflict is escalating, where tensions are high, and uh, words are flying. <laughs> uh, we often, uh, at least since the need for a peacemaker, mm-hmm. even if we're not sure how to do it exactly. Um, but one of the things that the Lord specializes in, if you read the Bible, I mean, almost the whole book, is uh, he specializes in making peace between people. Yeah. And there's yeah. times where people won't, won't be at peace. <laughs> right. And, uh, Which in those cases, it's extremely frustrating. It can be hard to be patient in those moments whenever you're doing everything you can to help create peace, but there is no peace. Mm-hmm. But it can also be a role that when it's done right and when the outcome is successful, it's a very rewarding job. It's a very rewarding position to be in, not for your own pride and glory, but to see two people reconciled together again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a very important role that needs to be taken seriously. Yeah. Romans 12 and verse 18 says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
And so again, there's going to be some times where we're doing everything we can do to make peace and other people won't cooperate. Um, and if they don't want peace, I mean, it takes two to make peace. Um, but it might be helpful for us to think about different kinds of peace as we think about being a peacemaker. Um, and I, I think Ephesians 2 really illustrates well a couple of different kinds of peace in the two halves of this chapter. Uh, we won't read the whole chapter. I'd encourage you to read Ephesians 2. But um, the first 10 verses talk about really, in some ways, the most important kind of peace, and that is peace with God. And that is what disciples of Jesus are to be all about, is going out and uh, the way Paul would put it in 2 Corinthians is we have the ministry of reconciliation. Yeah, that's be, cool. Be reconciled to God is is our is our war cry, so to speak. Uh, of course, war cry in the sense of we're going out and our goal is to make peace between people and God. And in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, Paul talks about how we were dead in our sins. We were enemies of God, uh, walking you know, against him, walking with Satan's forces, essentially. And then in verse 4, uh, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And so this is the peace that God has provided. And it's the peace that he's entrusted to Christians to go tell people about. Hey, like, You've been walking as enemies of God. But guess what? The king forgives his enemies. <laughs> He's not just, I mean, there's a day where he will destroy his enemies, but there's an opportunity right now to, to make peace with him. Not only is God willing to forgive and show mercy in order to give peace and be a peacemaker, but he was also willing to give up and sacrifice something. He was willing to give his own son all for the sake of, so that we could be at peace with him. Mm-hmm. And that needs to be noted, uh, that if we want to be a peacemaker, and I don't just mean in a third party where we're coming in and trying to help two parties, but when we want to be the peacemaker in a conflict, we need to understand that sometimes that's going to take some sacrifice, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, it did for God, and it will for us too. It might be our own desires, our personal liberty that we have to give up, but we don't need to be surprised by that. God was willing to sacrifice something for the sake of reconciliation. We might need to as well, and we need to be prepared for that. Being a peacemaker does not always feel peaceful. No, not at all. Uh, we should not mistake that, oh, a life of a peacemaker is just where you avoid conflict and just pretend that everything's fine and tell people that everything's fine. No, I mean, again, sometimes we have to go to war, so to speak, to find peace. Um, that doesn't mean that we're trying to stir up trouble, but we sometimes have to confront. And again, Paul in this passage is... Starting out with the bad news. You were dead. You know, uh, the book of Romans starts out with bad news. Uh, and sometimes we have to confront people and make them realize where they're at before we can get reconciliation to happen. That's certainly what God has to do for us. But then there's that second kind of peace in the last half of Ephesians 2, verses 11 down through verse 22. And that is the peace that God is making between people. Mm -hmm. Uh, between individuals, but in particular here he focuses on between whole groups of people. Um, And the Jews and the Gentiles is his focus in this particular letter, which that doesn't always feel like it's front and center in, you know, Western America 2020. But here, I feel like it's a prototype. It's like the peace that God makes between the Jews and Gentiles when the gospel is first starting out is you can just kind of fill in the blank. 
whatever two types of people or two types of groups that you want to fill in, that's the kind of thing that God is making peace between people. He, he's making us all one in Christ. Yeah. And so these two groups of people, as Stephen just stated, they're now one in Jesus Christ. But just because they're one in Jesus Christ doesn't mean all their cultural differences have been set aside. I mean, they, they still do things differently, say things differently, celebrate things differently, eat things differently. I mean, you go down the list, it's almost opposite every time. Those things aren't just going to change in Jesus Christ because a lot of those things are kind of neutral. There isn't a right or wrong to them. Some things are, some things aren't. And so Paul has to get them to understand that so that there can be peace. And that's that's a lot of what this section is about here in Ephesians 2, is, mm-hmm. is what really unites them. I love what he says in verse um, verse 13, Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, that's the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And then uh, skipping down to verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, uh, the the Jews. Uh, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So Jesus is the source of peace, um, both peace with God and peace with other people. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. And I like what he says here, they shall be called the sons of God. That's what God did. I mean, yeah, so don't you, be surprised that you would be the offspring of God if you do what he did. I mean, that's right. I mean, whenever people see me, a lot of the times when they know my dad and they know his mannerisms. They look at me and they say, you're definitely the son of your father. And when we're being peacemakers, when we're striving to love one another, like John 13 talks about, by this the world will know that you're my disciples, and your love for one another, mm-hmm. and you're being a peacemaker is the idea. That's right. And man, doesn't the world need peacemakers right now? Um, we've got to be people in the midst of a very polarized, very high-tension uh, culture who are seeking to make peace. And I do think it's really important to remember the order of the Beatitudes here. There's an interesting point to make from James 3 here, is that we are to be peacemakers, but not at the cost of purity. Um, the, the Beatitude right before this was, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And uh, the book of James, uh, we're probably going to be referencing the book of James a lot. Um, and if we ever do the book of James in a season, then we'll be referencing the Sermon on the Mount a lot. That's right. <laughs> it goes both ways. If you ever just read Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and you go read the book of James, it is amazing the number of parallels there are between the teaching of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount and what his brother, or his half-brother, James, wrote in James, uh, the letter of James. But one of the things he wrote in James chapter 3, in verse 17, he talks about the wisdom from above. And he says, the first two things he says about the wisdom from above, James 3, 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. And that order is really, really important. Because if we put peace before purity, 
we're not really going to have peace. Mm -hmm. If it's peace at all costs, peace no matter whether someone's in sin or not, then we're not we're going to break that peace with God. <laughs> we're going to ultimately break that peace with other people as well. Um, because we have to first be pure and say, no, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, and make that distinction. But once we lay that down and people are willing to humble themselves and say, yes, this is what's pure, this is what's not, we're all striving to be pure, then we can make peace mm -hmm. and uh, be forgiven. Blessed are the merciful, they'll receive mercy. Um, and so it's interesting to me to see how the Beatitudes work together here. And pure and peacemaker are really interesting that those two are next to each other. Yeah. And what's really cool is as we think about Paul being this great peacemaker between Jews and Gentiles. And by the way, as you read through the epistles of Paul, look for that theme as he's trying to reconcile these two groups. You know, Paul's beginning as a Christian really started off with someone stepping in and was willing to be a peacemaker. You all will remember after Paul is converted and he is a Christian in Acts 9 preaching in Damascus, he gets ran out because of persecution and goes to Jerusalem. He tries to associate himself with the church there in Jerusalem, and they won't receive him. Um, now, we're talking about the Jewish group as a whole now, but they're like, this guy was persecuting people. What if he's not really a Christian? You know, they're very scared. And Barnabas steps in, and he, he vouches for Paul and tells him about all that he was doing in Damascus. And he steps up, and he's a peacemaker in that situation. Mm -hmm. And it really seems like, a lot of Barnabas, as we'll see him, especially I think about in Acts 15, mm -hmm. um, whenever there was the disagreement with Paul, but it seems like Barnabas was someone who was constantly wanting to be a peacemaker in those situations. Yes. And so Paul had a good start in that. It's not surprising that he was also adamant about that in his ministry as well. Yeah. One more note on this idea of a peacemaker that I've got, at least, is I've heard it put uh, this way before, is that as we try to make peace and forgive the cheesiness of this, but it's memorable. Uh, there are three kinds of ways you can do that. There are peace takers, peace fakers, and peace makers. And uh, peace takers is what it sounds like is there's people who just come in in the name of reconciliation, but really just want to get their way. And so they end up taking peace from other people. They're just going around, you know, uh, telling just telling people that they're wrong, not trying to fix things or help people, and that's not that's not going to help a situation. Um, but then there's peace fakers who might go into a situation, and their solution is just to to speak peace, say everything's okay, but not actually address things or fix things. And that's that's an easy one to mm -hmm. be is oh I'm. I'm going to come in and I'm just going to tell everybody that it's okay, but without really, you know, addressing the things that are going on, that's a peace faker. Uh, you can talk peace all day long, but unless you're working to reconcile people, um, you're not being a peacemaker. And of course, the third thing is what we've been talking about is actually making peace is a much taller order than just saying things are okay. It's really working with people and trying to reconcile people to God. Yeah, I you know, and I also... I just think about with being a peacemaker, there are certain qualities that really make good peacemakers. And as you look at the first three Beatitudes, those those are what really come to my mind as I think about someone who is going to excel in this category, being poor, in sp uh, being poor in spirit, mourning, and being gentle, especially the gentleness side of things, mm -hmm. being a humble person as you approach men like this, 
or, or women or whoever it may be. And uh, as a whole, too, not only do you need to be humble as a peacemaker, but you also need to be firm. Um, I think about Paul in Philippians 4, whenever he addresses two women in that congregation, Yodia and Syntyche. He's pretty firm with them that they need to learn to get along. And he also says you all need to help these women learn how to get along. Yeah. And so there's a firmness that comes as well as a humility that comes in being a peacemaker. Um, anything else is, like Stephen said, it's being a peacetaker or peacefaker. Uh, we we want to strive for that, that middle category, peacemaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this brings us to the last of the Beatitudes, um, which in some ways is the most surprising. I don't know. Um, especially after talking about being a peacemaker, yeah. you'd think, oh, well, man, if someone's a peacemaker, then things are going to go well for them. But right after saying, blessed are the peacemakers, um, the last beatitude, um, Jesus says in verse 10 of Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so he comes full circle. He started out with blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now the last beatitude has that same reward, that same blessing with it. If you want to be citizens of the kingdom, you're going to be persecuted. Yeah. And he clarifies, it's not just to those who are persecuted for any reason, but those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then there's two more verses that really kind of go with this last one. It's almost like if people get to this last one, they're like, whoa, like, did I hear that right? Blessed are the persecuted? Blessed are the, you know, those who are they're trying to hurt you and they're coming after you. How can that be blessed? And so he doubles down in verse 11. Okay, yeah, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack here in this last beatitude. Yeah, I, th- I think, too, one of the reasons Jesus is doing this isn't necessarily to scare people off. Maybe not. Maybe I shouldn't put it that way, but he is trying to warn them of what's going to happen with this movement and what's going to happen if they sign up to be a part of this new kingdom. It's not sugarcoating it. Right. And they can never say, well, Jesus didn't warn us. I mean, this isn't the only time Jesus will warn his disciples about persecution and what's going to happen. And we did an entire episode on that after we did season two on the book of Acts on just the persecution that took place in the early church Mm -hmm. um, against these Christians. And we talked about how they shouldn't have been shocked by that. And I I really don't think a lot of them were because Jesus said so much about it and Mm -hmm. he gave them the tools they needed to be able to work through the persecution. That's right. And the first thing he says is you got to make sure that you're being persecuted for righteousness sake, that there are two kinds of suffering and persecution. (laughs) One is we're suffering and people are coming after us because we're being a troublemaker mm-hmm. and we're, uh, we're, we're hurting other people and we're not being a peacemaker. And we're, um, and, and if we're, if we're suffering because we're doing evil, I mean, first Peter is really helpful in clarifying that he says, if you suffer as a troublemaker, like what good is that? Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you're a criminal, you're doing wrong things. Yeah. You're going to suffer for it and people are going to come after you. The law might come after you, but you're getting what you deserve. You know, you've done wrong and now you're suffering for it. But the kind of persecution that is blessed and that you can rejoice in is when you know you're doing what's right in God's eyes and they're still coming after you and sometimes specifically coming after you 
because you're doing what's right. Yeah. And that's the kind of suffering that we see um, Jesus talk about um, in places like John 16, uh, where he says, listen, it, if the world is going to hate you, but you need to remember that they hated me first. Um, that's so important to remember with all, with all of this. Um, he'll say in uh, John, um, and actually it's at the end of John 15, excuse me, in uh, John 15, verse 18, uh, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And you can go on and read into chapter 16 a little bit. And he talks about, again, he's, this is like his last conversation with his disciples before he dies. And he's saying, all right, Here's how it's going to be. And we need to look at that. I mean, Jesus was the ultimate poor in spirit, meek, gentle. Um, he was the ultimate peacemaker. And yet his whole ministry was one of opposition. Yes. Uh, uh, people were coming after him. And he's saying, okay, if, you, if you're perfect, <laughs> like even as I am, which we won't be, but he's saying, if they hated me, who's doing everything perfectly, they're, they're going to they're gonna hate you too. And we just have to, to grapple with that. Don't be surprised when the world hates us. Don't be surprised when we face opposition, even when we're trying so hard to be a peacemaker and to be gentle. Um, there's people who don't like purity. They don't, they, they don't like the light. Uh, they like to be in darkness. And so anyone who's living as a light, uh, they're going to come after mm -hmm. and say, we want to put that out. We don't want that example showing us uh, how wrong we are. And so in the case of Jesus, as, as we read through, blessed are you when they insult you, is what my translation says, uh, ESV says, revile you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you, um, and ac the false accusations. Mark 15, verse 17, they dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him and began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! They kept beating his head with a reed, spitting on him, kneeling, bowing before him, after they mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put on his own garments, and they led him out to crucify him. I mean, that's Mark fifteen sixteen through 20. Just in those five verses, you see them reviling him, insulting him, beating him, persecuting him, and eventually taking him to the cross to have him crucified. And so everything Jesus warned against for his own disciples very clearly also happened to him. These weren't just words he was saying. Uh, he was serious about that. And so don't be surprised, like Stephen pointed out in John 15, when that happens to us as well. It's also amazing when you see that the way Jesus allowed himself to be persecuted helped to convince others that he was the Son of God. Mm -hmm. uh, it, well, I mean, the Roman soldier in Mark a little bit later is going to say, when he sees the way that Jesus dies, truly this was the Son of God. Yep. Um, and that's what we have to be prepared to do is that we're going to suffer on some level but we needed to do that in such a way that people will say this 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 one belongs to god like they're not suffering like people in the world suffer people are reviling them but look at their behavior have they really done the wrong things that they're saying you know and um, actually, this will tie in well with uh, what we'll talk about in the next episode, Lord willing, being the light of the world, mm -hmm. you know, and letting your light shine in such a way that when they see your good works, 
they'll glorify God. And one of the brightest ways that we can let our light shine is when we are being persecuted, when we are being harshly treated. Um, and so that's, uh, again, these are easy things to talk about on a podcast, but they're hard, hard things to live out. And sometimes persecution isn't always a physical um, thing. I think we sometimes don't always see that uh, because it is a very physical thing throughout Scripture. But one of the things Jesus outlines is when people uh, insult you or specifically falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And so people will try to say things that aren't true about you uh, to try and make you seem silly or you know try to make you seem way out there or whatever have you. And that is a problem. That is something that Christians have had to face through the centuries. People will take something from Scripture or take something that we believe and and you know extrapolate it, make it kind of more than what it actually is for the sake of making us seem crazy or making making us seem silly. And Jesus is saying, "Don't be shocked by that. That that will be one of the many forms of persecution that people have against you." Mm-hmm. One of the examples I love, and we won't take the time to again read all of this, um, is the example of. Stephen, um, my namesake, from Acts chapter 6, chapter 7, and seeing how he was walking in the steps of his master, Jesus. And they falsely accuse him in chapter 6. They accuse him, of, you know, and there's a grain of truth in some of these accusations. It's not, a, it's not a good lie without a little bit of truth in it. But they falsely accuse and twist him, twist what he said, you know, into making him sound like a rebel, making him sound like someone that the Jews would hate and would persecute. And it's amazing to me to see the number of the Beatitudes that Jesus, that Stephen exhibits as he's going through that. And ultimately, as they are stoning him to death, he's praying for them and saying, you know, Father, do not hold this sin against them. And it's really amazing. I mean, he's the first one that we see killed for the sake of Christ. Um, but how blessed he is, um, even as he's going through that. And of course, it's right in the middle of that, that he sees Jesus. Yeah, and that's what I was about to say. The next verse of, of this beatitude, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. And like Stephen just said about Stephen, that this is exactly what happened with the Stephen that was persecuted and stoned to death. Um, they went on st- stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He falls on his knees. He cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against him. And having said this, he fell asleep. Um, but he goes on to his reward. He can be glad that he stood up for the cause of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And again, so much of this is talking about the, the contrast of what's happening now with what's going to happen later. You know, blessed are you who mourn. You will be comforted. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Now you will be filled. And uh, blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy. And then here, you know, rejoice and be glad when they persecute you, when they come after you, because there's something much greater coming. There's a much greater reward coming after this. And Jesus's citizens, the citizens of Jesus's kingdom, it, it may really look like they're losing out mm-hmm. in this life. It may really look like they're the ones who are downtrodden. People are going after them, and they're just not fighting back. They're, um, where's the justice? Where's the recompense for these people? And he says, listen, it's coming. you got to accept it by faith. It's, you're not going to see it yet. But there's a day coming when these are the ones who are going to be comforted. They're going to receive mercy. They're going to um, ultimately be uh, with the Lord. And... 
he also mentions here at the very end, just kind of adds to this, but there's a, we could do a whole lesson on this. Uh, so they persecuted the prophets who were mm-hmm. before you. Um, he says, you're in good company. Right. Uh, you read the Old Testament, and we could just multiply examples of, uh, I mean, almost every single one of the prophets, right? Uh, it's a lot easier to count the ones who are not persecuted. <laughs> um, yeah, all of them are insulted in some way, ignored. Some of them are physically beaten. Some of them are even killed. Um, it's across the board, but mostly all of them are persecuted. And then we were talking about Stephen a second ago. It reminded me of what he said. Uh, he said, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? You know, it's, it's easier to, to count all the ones they didn't persecute than the ones they did. He said, they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who have received the laws ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. And Jesus, he warned us that this was going to happen. But for the sake of Stephen and many others that, that have been martyrs for the sake of Jesus, they've died in good company. Uh, mm-hmm. You read of the prophets of old. Um, I think specifically about Elijah and Ezekiel and some of those other, Jeremiah, who, who really worked through some hard times in Israel's days. And we're in good company um, if we go through persecution with men like that. That's right. And that's so important because, again, Jesus is trying to give us motivation to go through really hard things. And the thing we need is hope. Um, to, because like, wow, like I'm, I'm suffering. They're coming after me. What am I going to do? when that moment comes and he says you've got to be thinking ahead you can't just be thinking about the moment uh, and the same thing with the prophets in the old testament they weren't just thinking about their life right now or being comfortable or making things easy he says uh, there's something much greater coming after if you will endure now there is a blessing coming for those who are persecuted for doing what's right you mm-hmm. just keep doing good you keep trusting god he's going to take care of you it's going to be okay in the end but it's going to be scary in the moment. Yeah, and I mean, that's really the idea of having biblical faith. In the moment of trial, uh, when things are unsure, we, we look forward to the reward that we may, we haven't seen yet, but we have faith in God that he can deliver us and get us through that reward. We have trust in him. Um, and so it's such a blessing that, that Jesus gives us these admonitions as well as these upfront you know, statements about what his kingdom is going to look like. And it was certainly true as you go through the book of Acts. And it's certainly true today. There are Christians all over this world, different places, who are going through this same type of persecution for righteousness' sake. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, I mean, what a way to start your kingdom manifesto, yeah, if you will. No, I'm kidding. Uh, that blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Yeah, wow. What a what a list of winner's qualities, right? I mean, that could have been the whole sermon right there. Yeah. And in many ways, what we're going to see is the, the rest of the sermon is going to spell out a lot of more specifics about how Jesus' followers are to live in the world. And some of you may have heard Jesus called the master teacher mm-hmm. and it's these qualities right here that make him so different from any other teaching in this world i mean if you were to come up with eight characteristics of people um you know what you could probably go out and google you know eight characteristics for highly effective people you know <laughs> something like that and people have come up with their own lists uh would their lists look like this probably not 
And that is what just sets Jesus' teaching so far ahead and so far apart from anything else that's out there. Great. Well, uh, we hope that uh, you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast. Um, If you could subscribe, rate, review, that will really help us out. Um, We'd love to study with you. If you'd like to reach out to us and talk some more, uh, 717-585-0949 or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com or um, find out more at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.